So what time is it now? I want to check the time now. Okay, so it's quarter to eight. So that means that we've got four hours and 15 minutes left of this 24-hour talkathon. We couldn't be standing, sitting in Dr. Feelgood's. This is Yinka. Yinka is part of an organisation called the Human Library of Liverpool, who joined up with other organisations in the city to host a 24-hour talkathon on the 10th of October 2019. They've chosen this date for a reason. So this is the, the penultimate leg of a 24-hour gig that we've been doing uh, to, to, to acknowledge international homelessness and World Mental Health Day. And so since midnight of today, we've been working continuously right round the clock to raise profile with events, with talks, with collaborations of people coming together to show unity about the plight of what's going on here in Liverpool, but also further afield as well. We followed events on the day and interviewed some of the people who took part. You'll hear from residents, poets, artists and activists. There were common themes or stories that emerged from the discussions, stories of disconnection, addictions and inequality. But there were also conversations about hope, hope that a community can come together and create change. This is the Papyrus Hopecast. Among the first people we spoke to on the day were Jerome and Joe in the audience of the Florence Institute, a landmark known as the Flory. They are both long-standing residents of Liverpool and have turned up to take part in today's Poetry Corner. Just prior to performing, between a few sneezes, Jerome introduced himself to us. Yes, yes uh, my name's uh, Jerome Massett and um, I'm an actor and... Um, sorry, God, I've got a sneeze here. And a... Excuse me, this is not really good, this is it. And I'm also, I'm also a performance poet. And I'm here on um, Mental Health Awareness Day, which is also combined with um, um, Homeless Day. And I'm here just to recite some poems out of... Um, and I'm going to recite a piece out of my one-man play called Toxic Chronicles. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm doing here. I'm going to sneeze again. You'll have to excuse me. Thank you, bless, warm chest, dignity at last, no fear, listening here, breakfast, wash if you care, great day, no more, excuse me mate, any spare change, brigade, sorry for asking, have a good day, sitting like Buddha, homemade mattress, filth, sullen face, appears out the fog, Sees more concerned about his stuff. Highlight horizon, something park, beautiful hostel. Sat next to Jerome in the audience was Joe, who was also waiting to perform. We asked her about homelessness in the city over the last few decades. 
I lived um, a third of my life in Liverpool and I've lived on the Weddell for uh, two thirds so far. Um, but I'm in Liverpool a lot and I see a lot of homelessness around the city, you know, which is very distressing. It's the same with most um, large cities and even small towns now. I just think, I think a lot of it is linked. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know. And it's just the stress for everybody these days, isn't it? Joe's point is something we heard repeatedly over the course of the day, that there is a vicious cycle of mental health problems, stress and homelessness, each feeding into the other. ONS stats in 2018 showed that suicide is one of the biggest causes of death amongst homeless people in England and Wales. Following Jerome's performance, Joe read a poem which she had written about homelessness and it's called He Sits Alone. I wonder what happened to the man I passed by. Does he sometimes wonder... Does he ever ask why? Why he ended up on the street, often battling cold, rain and sleet? I passed him once again today. Was it him? Was it another day? Some may say he is free. Someone actually said that to me. They said it as if he'd been able to choose. I don't think he would have chosen to lose a job, a home, his kids and wife, his dignity a pleasant way of life. Maybe for him life started being bad and in not knowing what he'd never had it would be difficult to try to achieve some way he could begin to leave all the habits of a lifetime behind. A better life to try and find. And so we wonder how he does feel without a safe place and without a meal. How does he cope with life in a mess? Maybe through addiction or worry and stress. Whatever the problem of pressure's too great, he now needs some help before it's too late. Thank you. A few hours later, Yinka took us to a city centre cafe where we met Jimmy Bongo. Jimmy was another performer who was taking part in today's events. Conscious powers. Comedy, yeah. um, called Jimmy Bongo, named Jimmy Bongo. Um, uh, I, I do events in town and um, like freedom of the mind. I do in Capuchia. I, I did do a night in Doctor Feelgood's called Freedom of Speech, and I, it's, it's just sort of evolved. You know, with uh, I, I started doing the poetry about about five years ago when I stopped drinking, um, and. Uh, I've seen, I, I had like a spiritual awakening when I stopped drinking, you know, uh, I struggled for a year myself with mental health, with, um, you said, depression, uh, with, you know, um, and, and a lot of the writing come from that, my writing come from a dark place, and the darkness comes to light, and, and I see people, just everyday people struggling, and I see people now working seven days a week, and I've done loads of food banks and shit like that. And, you know, the disparity in wealth is just... It's, it's sickening. It is absolutely sickening that, you know, you know these politicians... Well, they're, like, they're, they're just corporations. They're massive giant corporations. And they're just, just people losing homes daily. Not daily, by the hour. People are becoming homeless by the hour. And most people are two, three paychecks from the street. There's a, there's a lad who I grew up with who sells the big issue on, on um, 
Anxiety is outside. Outside Marks and Spencer. To not fault of his own, he's ended up through drug drug abuse. He's ended up homeless, and now he's he's a lovely, lovely lad. Unfortunately, it's just. I don't, think, um, I don't think people choose to be homeless either. The abuse that they take on the daily basis, you know, as if they're not feeling bad enough as it is. You know, when you're at a low web and there's nothing worse than somebody. I know myself because I had depression a few years ago, or something like depression. To uh, drugs and alcohol, mainly alcohol, but. Um, you know, you, you, you're so sensitive when you're in and vulnerable when you're in that, when you're in that place that you, you know, the slightest thing can send you over the edge and, you know, just... This is called a river runs deep. <clears throat> I was born by the river and I lived by the sediments and I felt that would come knocking on. If we didn't have our rent, we would have been evicted and thrown onto the street. Thank God it never happened, so it was kind of bittersweet. I lived by the River Mersey and the currents, it was wild. And it got into my blood when I was just a child. As well as poetry, there were several short films presented during the talkathon. Some of these films were put together by an organisation called First Take. We spoke with Lynn, a director at First Take, about the hopeful story behind these films. Okay, so I'm, I'm Lynn from First Take. I'm a director at First Take. And basically, we're in the third year of a three year project um, called Real Recovery. And we've been working with the recovery community. This was the, for the last two years, um, creating short films. And this year, we've started to make our feature film, which is really exciting. So, exciting. So, basically, everyone who's involved in the project is in recovery. Um, the short films that we've seen today, which were really well received by everybody, um, were written by people in recovery, and they went on a screenwriting course. Um, and then they basically they got made into films. Um, the writers on that have been working with me on writing the feature. Um, we've got some great um, people involved um, in creating the feature film. So, oh, I mean, the feedback we've had of the people that participated so far has been phenomenal about how it's helped their mental health. You know, how... I mean, making films is such an amazing thing to do from the point of view that all the art that goes in it just the sound just the camera people get taught different ways and when you're looking at, at life you kind of look at the light coming through you look at 
you hear the sound that you're going to be filming. You 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 see see things in shots. You you have a different feel. And, and when we're working on the films, it's all about the pro- it's all about what film we're working on. It's all about the project. I mean, people obviously talk together about what they're going through, and they talk together. But we're not a recovery organisation. We're a professional filmmaking organisation that's using film because it's a powerful tool to aid recovery and to help mental health problems. Yeah, I think I think the people that are participating in, in our project are they're, they're all doing it for different reasons. Some are doing it to fill their time because it keeps them abstinent and it keeps them on track. Um, some of them are doing it for um, you know because they're creative people and they want to see where the creativity leads them some absolutely adore sound some absolutely adore editing some absolutely adore like Michelle for instance she's doing production management now and and yes some of them are looking at it and should be looking at it to think of it as their career because the skills that we have I mean you saw the films the acting on their films is outstanding but also you know within that within those films you've got you know the sound recordists you've got the camera assistant you've got the camera operator you know all of these so one of our um, participants um, in the second year I put him forward for the screen skills uh, project to work in high-end tv and basically now he's working in high-end tv he's got a job at red productions he was a production office runner at first for six months but now they've re-employed him so he's working in the props department and he's working on the latest russell t davis film so basically that's what he's doing so so We've, you know, we as first take have employed people who've been on this project because they are so good, you know. So, so that is about the future for those who want to go in and think, right, well, anyone can work in the film industry. That's the beautiful thing about it. It doesn't care how many degrees you've got. You don't have to have any degrees. What you've got to have is experience working on films, enthusiasm, bags of that, yeah, and basically a dedication that you're going to turn up on time and you'll be reliable. You've got those three things. You send your showreel off, they'll look at you. And they'll look at you if you've been involved in these films and they'll definitely look at you if you've been involved in a feature film. So this isn't pretend. This is real. This is real. It's real future. To underline the reality behind the Real Recovery Programme, Lynn introduced us to Jules, who had written a short film called The Table's Turn. Jules had benefited immensely from the opportunities that Real Recovery had provided and had drawn on her own experiences to develop her writing. Yeah, well, first of all, it was fancy first take. Um, I never really classed myself as a writer by any means until I started the first take Real Recovery course. Uh, and Lynn said, oh, what do you on the writing course? And what, what do you on the writing course? I was very, very nervous because, as I say, I love, you know, writing, I was always not the cleverest at school in English or whatever. So anyway, during the course of the weeks, anyway, Lim, Lim uh, sort of gave us building blocks and, you know, and, and it really encouraged us and stuff. And it was just right about something that, you know, and at the time I was um, being sanctioned from, you know, uh, Social Security. Um, and she said, yeah, write right that, write about that, you know. And then, it, you know... Um, it, 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 the story came about 
I was working at one time and I was looking after someone who had um, Huntington's at the time, really, which came about attending to dementia and a lot of issues around that. I'm going to work and, and having to look after the, you know, uh, get to breakfast and try and get out at lunchtime to go and see it because we couldn't get no services or, or help. So that's that came into the you know the whole writing of the tables turned and um we then flipped it you know i thought i, I can relate to that woman uh, you know working and you're just like that you pressures and you've got to meet this deadlines and this goals and you know well, not not in social security but in any work setting now it's just becomes more and more apparent you want more out of you and um um so yeah, and of the food banks, yeah, I was using the food banks myself, you know, because I just wasn't surviving. So those circumstances, I thought, right, this could all come into a film. And, and as I say, with Lynn Harwood's encouragement and stuff like that, we came about uh, writing and rewriting, rewriting again. And I thought, oh no. Um, but what once we, we we did the process of rewriting and rewriting, it it. it got to the gem of that film now and I was so like you know I see it written on paper and you're just like is that going to work and and you know but what as the crew and everybody uh, put their parts into it so the whole team of that thing you know and they they brought it alive and you know the settings we couldn't we 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 couldn't get into a job centre but we we mocked that up in um um, John Moore's uni- University. Uh, so that 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 was you know our, our Kirsty Burton was our the designer. So we we set up the job centre there and everything. So it's just been a whole team event. But the you know um, uh, yeah, the, I suppose the initial ideas came from me in the writing process. And as I say, everyone sort of brought it alive. And the lovely thing about first take is that we did, did work as like a family. We all got to all the various different roles involved in light and sound, uh, set designs, and everything. It just—it's it, just great to see the, you know, uh, the norm and the storm and performing, and it all coming together to be a great film like that. Might I say myself? But fantastic, fantastic. The talkathon ended at the Isla Gladstone building in Stanley Park. There, in between jazz performances, discussions continued and people caught up on the day's events. We learned that some of the participants had actually been there since midnight, talking to homeless people and offering them therapy. There was a sense of a connection in the room. There was also a sense that this was a grassroots movement coming together in a city hit hard by budget cuts and austerity. An aim was established. Liverpool doesn't currently have a dedicated women's shelter and it needs one, badly. We heard more poems, including a poem from a familiar voice. This is Rob from Papyrus. Okay, we've got one more. Um, When we're speaking to people on the phone or answering the text or the emails, I'm sure you can imagine every story is unique. So I dropped to listen to that story, to understand the story, and ideally trying to get to a happy end of their own personal story. 
So, from the last poem, another metaphor for life, it's called drowning. Everyone can feel like they are drowning in life. Splash around to let people know that you're struggling. Don't hold on to the edge for too long. Learn how to swim. Find yourself someone who can teach you. Look for someone who will be a swimming instructor, not a life raft. Sometimes, though, you need a life raft before the lesson can begin. It's okay to use swimming aids, whatever it takes to be a stronger swimmer. There might be times when you need to hold on to someone. There might be times when they need to hold on to you. Hold each other up. Don't pull each other down. Pulling someone down doesn't make you a better swimmer. You don't have to be swimming all the time. You can tread water, go back to the raft, or even spend some time on the beach. Finally, nearing midnight, we heard from Yinka, who alongside Julie, from 24 corners of the world, had put together the day's events. Today's been humbling. The amount of people that we've encountered with regards homelessness, the amount of people that we've encountered with regards challenges with their mental health, the amount of people we've talked to, who've told us about the ones they have lost, you know, it's been humbling. But there has been a positive energy. There has been, to quote, hope and the way that we do on Hope Line. Hope that things can be different, that things can be better for all of us. We've got to believe that because that's what keeps you moving forward. We believe that and prepare us. But I believe that our collaborators here and the energies, the positivities that we've endured, that we've experienced today in all the various events, from being at the Human Library at midnight through to walking through the streets of Liverpool in the middle of the morning time and being rained on, that was great, you know, uh, through to therapies in the streets. It's been a really humbling experience. Papyrus Hopecast. Thank you for listening. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in the podcast and you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, please contact Hopeline UK for advice and support on 0800 068 4141 via text on 07786 209 697 or email on pat at papyrus-uk.org.